Welcome to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. I am the curator, Garrett Chaffin Kirai. Sideways from 2004 may be the very best picture of its year. The story centers on Miles Raymond, played by Paul Giamatti. He's a writer by passion, but earns his keep by being an eighth grade English teacher. His former roommate from San Diego State University and sometime best friend Jack Cole, Thomas Hayden Church, is a TV actor who's beginning to get long in tooth and is looking for new ways to earn money as he prepares for his upcoming nuptials to a younger woman. The two go off on a week-long adventure to wine country in celebration of Jack's pending wedding, and there is where all of their adventures unspool. Why? Because Miles has a fascination with a woman called Maya, played by Virginia Madsen, with whom he shares a great many interests. It turns out Maya has a friend named Stephanie. The foursome become two pairs of couples, even though Jack is about to be married. And in the background, anyone who watches Sideways is likely to come away with a couple of obvious pieces of low-hanging fruit. It celebrates imbibing too much wine in this example. It champions the importance of pursuing a life's passion. And it concerns friendship and all of the complications friendships sometimes bring us, especially when those friendships last decades. It's true that Paul Giamatti is going to pull your interest. As the center of this movie, he carries the weight of what the story is trying to accomplish. With his sad eyes, his warm voice, his wonderful deliveries, and his occasional verbal explosions when things upset him one way or another, especially while intoxicated and thinking about the bitterness of his divorce, we are given to think of him as the person in the story that we're most likely to enjoy. Yet I want to propose an alternative, and that is Virginia Madsen's character Maya. There's a central conversation that Maya and Miles have at Stephanie's home. Stephanie and Jack find a bedroom where they begin to make love. And because this makes Miles and Maya somewhat uncomfortable, they keep moving through the house to find a place where they don't hear the moans of their friends. Whereupon, Maya asks Miles, Why are you so into Pino? (laughs) I mean, it's like a thing with you. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know. Um, It's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? It's it's thin-skinned, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet, which can just grow anywhere and uh, thrive even when it's neglected. No, Pinot needs constant care and attention. You know, and in fact, it can only grow in these really specific little tucked away corners of the world. And and only the most patient and nurturing of growers can do it, really. Only somebody who really takes the time to understand Pino's potential can then coax it into its fullest expression. And then, I mean... Oh, it's flavors. They're just the most haunting and brilliant and thrilling and subtle and ancient 
on the planet. This is allegorical speech on the nose. We realize that what it is he is describing is himself. Whereupon he asks her what she thinks about when she consumes wine. I like to think about the life of wine. Yeah. How it's a living thing. I like to think about what was going on the year the grapes were growing. How the sun was shining. If it rained. I like to think about all the people who tended and picked the grapes. And if it's an old wine, how many of them must be dead by now? I like how wine continues to evolve. Like if I opened a bottle of wine today, it would taste different than if I'd opened it on any other day. Because a bottle of wine is actually alive. And it's constantly evolving and gaining complexity that is until it peaks as maya speaks we get cutaway shots to miles reacting to what she is saying we see him relax we hear him sigh we watch his eyes travel to hers it's a marvelous bit of nonverbal acting on his part but because it is triggered by what she says and how she says it and technically she's not looking directly at the camera but just barely off the center mark as a tour de force in creating intimacy between two very skilled performers it proves to be a model for the warmth of this movie in as much as we watch jack fumble with his relationship with stephanie and try to then trade voicemail messages with his fiance which reflexively makes us feel badly jack is kind of a scoundrel but even so he does have a particular role to play and that's as a foil to miles at one point after things have gone badly with stephanie they're returning to San Diego. Jack hits on a waitress at the restaurant where they dine and then delivers a very brief monologue. Listen, man. You're my friend. And I know you care about me. And I know you disapprove, and I respect that. But there are some things that I have to do that you don't understand. And you understand literature, movies, wine. But you don't understand my plight. Jack will end up going home. That contrasts with the fact that Jack's lying to Stephanie has compromised Miles and his relationship with Maya, but not totally. Somewhere in the middle of the arc of this movie, Miles has explained to Maya that he's completed a novel and she asks, "Can I read it?" In a very funny moment, he delivers her two paper boxes of his manuscript, hundreds of pages. It's quite thick. And as somebody who has produced novels and has had friends ask, "Can I read what you've written?" whereupon I've produced these stacks of paper, thinking how proud they must be to receive the good news of my draft, only to later realize what a terrible burden that is on your prospective reader. And yet Maya does something wonderful. She reads Miles's work and she calls him up, leaving a message on his home answering machine. Hello, Miles. It's Maya. Thanks for your letter. I I would have called sooner, but I think I needed some time to think about everything that happened and what you wrote to me. Another reason um I didn't call you sooner is because I wanted to finish your book, which I finally did last night. And I think it's really lovely, Miles. You're so good with words. And who cares if it's 
not getting published. There, there's so many beautiful and painful things about it. Did you really go through all that? It must have been awful. And the sister character, jeez, what a wreck. But I have to say that, well, I was really confused by the ending. I mean, did the father finally commit suicide or what? It's driving me crazy. Anyway, it's turned cold and rainy here lately. But I like winter. So, listen, if you ever do decide to come up here again, you should let me know. I would say stop by the restaurant, but to tell you the truth, I'm not sure how much longer I'm going to be working there. Because I'm going to graduate soon. So I'll probably want to relocate. We'll see. Anyway, like I said, I really loved your novel. Don't give up, Miles. Keep writing. I hope you're well. Because Miles and Jack are on a wine tour of the Central Valley, they go through various stops along the 5 and the 101 that people who are local to the West Coast will certainly recognize from similar adventures. As somebody who has visited some of these sites, it's nice to see the warm glow of open sunlight. It's also nice to know that this movie is focused on middle-aged folks. So among vignettes that please me, we first meet Miles in the opening minutes of the movie being awakened on a Saturday morning. He's overslept. A work crew for his apartment building needs him to move his car because they need to cut down a tree, and he's flabbergasted at how he's overslept. He calls Jack and explains, I'm running late. He sits on the toilet and reads. He showers. He goes to his local coffee shop. He gets in his car. He does a crossword puzzle while driving north to Los Angeles to pick Jack up. In other words, he's not really in control of himself. And that always causes me to hoot because I think back on various friends and family members that I've got that cause me to think about how their lives would be better if they could simply exert greater self-discipline. But they are, like Miles describes himself, Pinot grapes that need a very peculiar master to help them grow. There are other moments of great fun throughout the piece, but it is a somewhat profane movie tilted towards middle years experiences. It requires an audience sensitive to the fact that not all of life's plans work out as intended, and even when they do, there are sometimes unforeseen complications that travel alongside your best held wishes. An example. While it's true that Jack has made it as a TV actor, now that he's grown older, work is harder to come by. In fact, work is not really possible unless he's going to do voiceover. He's no longer the handsome young man that we remember from his youth. And in fact, Thomas Hayden Church has a TV background. That's where he struck ground and became a notable star. We're watching him then on the tail end of his good looks wearing off in middle age, And it's not that he's a grumpy bear of a goblin to look at. It's just that this movie is very precise about describing how aging catches us all unawares. And sometimes we're left holding the empty hat, knowing that our dreams haven't quite come true. And yet, by movie's end, Miles has worked up the courage to approach Maya a second time and possibly recreate the magic of their earlier relationship. And that leaves me very hopeful both about this character, Miles, and his relationship with the very warm-hearted Maya, but the fact that it's okay to have twists and turns in a life's journey because 
In truth, there is no one way to live successfully. Thank you for listening to the Blockbusters and Birdwalks podcast. My name is Garrett Chaffin-Kirai. Boop-boobity-doo!